Well, Dan, here we are, episode 15. Riley, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is episode 15. Our podcast is a teenager. It's going through its most difficult phase. Uh, It has broken out with a fresh batch of acne on its back. And it hates its parents. Oh, does it ever. But it's discovered the joys of hardcore rap music. And it's dating a kid who doesn't work and smokes. It's painted its room black with a giant pentagram right in the center of it. Well, you're a parent. You have all that to look forward to. I am a parent. I've got a 12 and a 9-year-old at home. So we are on the cusp. It's the dawn of the teenage years here in this house. Oh, you're in for a wild ride. I don't know. I think, like, my son is the oldest. And I think he, like, he's a pretty even-keeled kid. So I think he's going to be all right. So welcome, everybody, to The Weird. It's a podcast in which we bring you tales of the uncanny, the bizarre, and the unexplained. My name is Riley. My name is Dan. And every week we assail you with stories that we find from the four corners of the globe. Can Can I ask a question about that? Absolutely. That's a very dated term because, and I feel like you're fueling uh, flat earthers with that. Oh, the four corners of the globe. Yes. Okay. The, what would be the spherical term? I was terrible in geometry. Points of the globe? All points of the globe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I don't know any, any um, navigational terms either, although they would help me with tonight's podcast. Whoa. But anyway, do we have anything administrative to, um, to send out there into the ether? Just, you know, to continue to take a look at our different social media accounts. Uh, we're posting lots of fun pictures uh, every week for the episodes that uh, that we put up. And, and it's sort of a, you know, some people that I've spoken to like to look at the pictures as we're going through, as they're going through the, the episodes. So that sometimes can be fun. I also noticed that in Facebook, there was a little bit of toxicity. Yes. People probably have figured out based on the way that I talk about it nonstop. I, I'm the one behind our social media platforms uh, for the mm-hmm. most part. And it was quite amusing uh, this past week how, how many people got angry with, 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 our, with our posts. And it's funny because I don't think they actually listen. I think the fact that it has come into their feed makes them angry. Okay. But little do they know by interacting with us it ensures that they get future posts, not necessarily I've, <laughs> I've made it so that they don't get it from us anymore, but that they'll just keep getting it. And I have a feeling some of them are just angry in general with advertising because we spend money, our own money to get this out there. We're a new podcast and we're trying to get people to listen. And so we're, we're advertising. That's what you do. And one of the things that you can sort of uh, check off when you're buying your advertising is you want them to target people who interact with ads. So they're interacting with the ad. <laughs> they're going to get more and they must get it all the time. Right. And so I, anyway, so that some people got angry specifically with Robert, the doll. Someone uh, was upset because they're like, uh, haven't you heard of Chucky? And I very politely wrote, you know, well, that actually that, you know, Chucky was uh, inspired by Robert and, um, well, it, and, and any of the things that they shouldn't throw shade at, it's Robert the doll because he's a vindictive prick. 
and God help them, right? No, it's 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 funny, and I I uh, I just delete them now. I did respond to one and then deleted it. I wrote something, you know, like my mom always said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And but you know, people are uh, stressed out and angry at the world, and if uh, that's cathartic for them, yelling into the wind, then um, God love them. I like that expression, yelling into the wind. Did you make that up? Probably not. It's a good one. I like that because that's what you're doing on social media. You're yelling into the wind. Yep. I have a good story for you. You know what I decided to do, Dan? I decided to kind of do like not a rebuttal, but I kind of wanted to do a complimentary podcast to yours from last week. Oh. The Wicklow County Jail. Okay. So I decided to, we're going to get on the boat. Is Dublin a seaside town? Yes. Okay, so we're going to get on the boat in Dublin, and we're going to sail off to my native land, Scotland. Ooh. Tonight, I'm going to bring you the mystery of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. Scotland, home of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, you you know what my grandfather used to say the difference between the Scots and the Irish were? What? The Scots work. (laughs) Oh, you... What? You know, look, I've spent time in both countries... And I loved uh, my time in Scotland and uh, met some really great people there. But just in general, there's a bit more of an edge to the Scots. They're angry people. Yeah. Doesn't it stand to reason that I have Scott in my blood? Yes. Like I yelled at at a car rental service agent in Fort William uh, who was just a douchebag. And I'd had it um, at that point in my trip. And I lost my Canadian niceness and I just ripped into him like full on but they respect that yeah I, I feel like i got better service after it and that's the thing i think with canadians especially when we travel i'm it happens every time i'm always super nice my sort of idea in my head is i'm gonna kill you with kindness and and wear you down which generally works here right i don't know well that's how you got your wife <clears throat> it took five years and finally yeah no but it when I travel, that has to change. And there always comes a point, it's usually like two, three weeks into the trip where you become hard and you start acting more maybe the way, where, you know, the place that you're in. And I had to be like that in Scotland. When I was in Europe for an extended period of time, I, I hit a wall after about five months where I just got so tired of people trying to take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. I just, it was like, oh my God, just stop trying to take advantage yeah. of me. I've chased down uh, pickpockets in Paris in the subways, and I actually did chase them down. They were kids. And yeah, always, yeah. And we had um, a run-in with a bad taxi driver in um, Normandy in France. We've had angry barkeeps in Scotland. But, but all of that to say, except in Ireland. Ireland, we've, I don't think we've ever had one like, mean encounter with the Irish. Well, you you have good Irish karma. I think so. All right. So shall I begin the story? Yes, please. This is a good one, Dan. Um, this is um, this is a, another creepy one. This has a little bit of the Marie Celeste to it. Oh, okay. And the story is often compared to the Marie Celeste. It's kind of like they're complementary tales. Cool. So Wayback Machine takes us this time to December of 1900. On December 15th of that year, there's a steamer called the Arctor. I love that name, Arctor. It's like a Marvel villain. I am Arctor. Or like a Transformer. Yes. The steamer Arctor is destined for Philadelphia. 
the crew of the Arctor, I'm going to say it as much as I can because I like saying it, <laughs> notices that the lighthouse on the island of Eilean Moor is not working. That island is one of seven, known as the Seven Hunters, that make up the Flannan Isles off Scotland's northwestern coast, the area known as the Outer Hebrides. Now, I know of this area very well because I had a friend. Um, he was one of those guys in high school who was like, a genius but he wasn't a genius because of what he learned in high school he was just one you hear my dog screaming in the background that's okay he was just one of those guys who like read Nietzsche when he was like 15 <laughs> and he was you know he was reading the right things and listening to really great stuff and he was just cool he was a, he had a really big influence on me he actually taught me a lot about electronic music anyway he was one of the most introverted people I've ever met and he went to spend an entire winter on the Outer Hebrides, taking care of a youth hostel that wow. was closed during the winter. Oh, so wow. He, so he was all by himself for four months without any visitors. So uh, by himself in the building or by himself on the island? On the island, in the building. <gasps> right? And he loved it. He brought books and he was creative. Oh, I could see that. That yeah. was his thing. And that was who he was. So this is a very remote northern part of Scotland. Yes. Now, it was, they're called um, the Flannan Isles because in the 7th century, St. Flannan built a chapel on the island. The only permanent residents of the island in question, Eileen Moor, are sheep. And they're brought there by the sheep people who look after, who own them, to okay. graze and to wander. And then they're, they're taken care of that way. They come, they come and pick them up. The locals refer to the island of Eileen Moor as the other country. A lot of superstitions surrounding this island. They believe it is touched has been touched by something otherworldly. And people who visited there say that the island just feels off. There are many strange and odd superstitions associated with the island. For example, visitors who visited the chapel would circle it on their knees. Wow. It was a stone island, so this must have been very painful. And, and, and just so I'm clear, so there's a hostel there now. No. No, the hostel was my friend on one of the islands in the Outer Hebrides. Okay, okay. All right, he, so this is just this island that only has sheep on it, pasture And a lighthouse. And a, okay, oh, okay. Right? A lighthouse. The lighthouse in question was built in 1895. At that point in time, it was new, extremely secure, and it was built on the highest point of the island of Eileen Moor. I've seen pictures of it. It's a white structure. It's 75 feet tall and attached to it is a small living quarters with a stone walkway that leads to a very sheer and dangerous cliff. Interesting. Now, I don't even have to tell you the waters in that area. It's the North Atlantic are incredibly treacherous. Um, I've seen film footage of the area and you would not believe how turbulent the water is. It's mm. incredible. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, a lighthouse was definitely needed to help the ships that were heading back and forth for the large port at that time in Leith, Scotland. Yep, okay, yeah. Yeah, so the port in Leith was a major, major port. So the lighthouse was lit for the very first time on December 7th, 1889, the day before my birthday. And it wasn't electrical, so it needed to be constantly stoked. Okay. So someone had to fuel the fire to keep the engine going. There was also a foghorn, I believe, which had to be uh, powered in a similar way. Mm. The only way that the people who manned the lighthouse could contact the mainland was through semaphore. 
Which is? It's the flags. It's signaling oh, okay. with flags. Right. So the people who worked on the lighthouse had to be fluent in semaphore before they could be posted to um, Eileen Moore to work on the lighthouse. Okay. And it could actually be, be received. People could actually see them on the Hebrides if the weather was good. So that's how they would communicate with semaphore, which is fascinating. Yeah, that's neat. I don't know if you can hear the lawnmower that just started up like right outside my house. No, it's okay. But there's a, my dog is screaming in the background. So it's the, the sounds of nature. Do who does yard work at, this is the evening anyway. Okay. Maybe he's an important man. Yeah, maybe. So the island is currently the temporary home to four gentlemen, Thomas Marshall, James Ducat, Donald MacArthur, and Joseph Moore, all of whom are lighthouse personnel who work for the lighthouse company. Mm -hmm. The way that the schedule was set up was because it was such a remote location, it was set up in such a way that three of the men would work on the island while another one would rotate out for a two-week break. Right. Okay? So every six weeks, you would get a two-week break. Yeah. So the men leaving the island for the break would leave so via the supply ship. And in this particular instance, on this particular day, the supply ship in question that we're dealing with was called the Hesperus. It was a steamer. Okay. It had set out for the island to deliver a relief lighthouse keeper... Uh, the, the relief lighthouse keeper, Joseph mm -hmm. Moore, who I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. He's one of the team of four that are currently stationed on the island. The Hesperus had been delayed for a few days because of bad weather. It finally arrives at the island on December the 26th, Boxing Day. Now, as soon as the crew of the Hesperus set foot on the island, it's very clear that something is amiss. Joseph Moore, as, as a matter of fact is the first one on shore because he's familiar with the island. He's been living there. He immediately becomes extraordinarily worried about his friends because the landing dock hasn't been prepared. Okay. They would have known he was coming and they would have put out crates and stuff that would have to be sent back. Okay. No one is there to greet the vessel. They would have been able to see that he was coming. Mm -hmm. So he starts to panic and after a very quick rudimentary search, he determines that there's no one on the island at all oh boy there's no place for them to hide there's no trees there's nothing it's rocks and a lighthouse when we post pictures of this dan and when you see what the actual island looks like it's quite small and it's just rock there's no place for anyone to hide so he knows there's nobody there hmm. the entrance gate and the gate leading to the lighthouse compound have been shut the door to the lighthouse itself is unlocked inside the lighthouse itself the kitchen table is set and contains plates of meat, potatoes, and pickles. On the plates? Yeah. So no, they're about to eat. They're, they're like serving dishes with meat, potatoes, and pickles. Yeah. You, you know, like when you go to family dinner and they put serving dishes out. Love those pickles. Or my parents actually did away with that. And what we would do is we'd go into the kitchen and just load up our plates directly from the pots and pans. That's how my family did it? Well, why, why dirty all those serving dishes? It's silly. Marion's family still does the uh, everything comes to the table. On a serving dish. On a serving dish. It makes cleanup a nightmare. I'm lazy. Yeah. Well, I don't have to deal with it, so whatever. You make your kids do it? I'm trying to. No, but if I'm at my in-laws, um, they, they insist on doing the dishes. I love that. Wow. Yeah, they're great. Okay, so in the lighthouse, the fire had not been lit for many days. The beds were empty and unmade, and the clock has stopped. 
Hmm. In the kitchen, there is one overturned chair to suggest that somebody jumped up from the chair and left in a, in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Two of the three oilskin coats are gone. And from all accounts that I've read, you would never go out in bad weather on this island without your oilskin coat because you'd be soaked to the bone. Mm-hmm. The weather is so cold and so wet, it just, you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So two of, the coats are mis- two of the coats are missing, one is hanging there. So the rules dictated that someone always needed to be in the lighthouse at all times, no matter what. So even if you saw a UFO land on that island, only two of you could run out and greet it. One person had to stay oh, interesting. Okay. in the lighthouse just to make sure that the light was lit because it is such a treacherous place that ships really relied on this lighthouse for navigation. You know, a lot of lighthouses are on the mainland and usually you can see the mainland. It's not that big a deal. But in this particular location, it's a really big deal because if the waves are turbulent, you can't see those rocky islands at all and you could just crash your vessel. And a lot of them had in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the crew of the Hesperus search the island thoroughly and find that absolutely no one is there. So, Joseph Moore, being the very responsible lighthouse keeper that he is, relights the lighthouse. The captain of the Hesperus, a man named Captain Harvey, dispatches a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board headquarters. They are the people in charge of that particular lighthouse, and they're located in Edinburgh. On December the 29th, 1900, the board's superintendent, a gentleman named Mr. Robert... Is it Edinburgh or Edinburgh? I say Edinburgh. I think it's Edinburgh. I I always get self-conscious. It's hard to say. I I just say the home of the Fringe Festival. Some people say Edinburgh, but I don't think it's Edinburgh. I think think it's Edinburgh, right? Edinburgh. I don't think you say Berg. I didn't I think say that's Berg. a very American. No, you didn't. But I just, I just, I can never. I don't know. I think it's very American or Canadian to say Edinburgh. <laughs> I think it's Edinburgh. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah. If we have any Scottish listeners, please let us know how to pr- properly pronounce your lovely city. I'd love it if we had Scottish listeners. I don't know that we do. Actually, actually, I think we do. Sorry, no, we do. Because we, we do have quite the following in the UK. Thank you, United Kingdom. I love the UK. They love podcasts. I think so. They're a bit more... Uh, we're big in the UK and uh, Ireland. And prison. And, and prisons in the United States. Which stands to reason. Yeah. So, on December 29th, 1900, the board's superintendent, Mr. Robert Muirhead... I love that, Muirhead. Mr. Muirhead, your table is ready. <laughs> He's dispatched to investigate this strange occurrence. And he had recruited all three of the missing men. So he knew them quite well. So he kind of had, um, he had skin in the game. When he arrived at the island and did a very thorough explanation, he found nothing, absolutely nothing of note, except the lighthouse logbook, which had some very confusing entries. Oh, there's my dog again, screaming in the background. I'm sure that the, when people listen to this podcast, they're going to call in like a SWAT team to come and find out what's going on in my house. My dog sounds like a banshee. <laughs> he screams like that because he wants us to play with him. Yes. So he's a, he's a bitchy little one-year-old. And he's, yeah, he's, a, he's a baby. He's That's a baby. The, and he's the cries of a baby. He's petulant. On December the 12th in the logbook, Marshall described... And I'm quoting, severe winds, the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. 
Wow. And this guy was a seasoned mariner. For, sure. So for, her, for him to say that they were the worst he'd seen in 20 years, they must have been something. He states that Ducat had been quiet and Marshall was crying. Wow. The next day, December 13th, he writes that the storm is still raging and all three men had been praying. Hmm. Now, again, this is extremely odd behavior because these guys are experienced seafarers. They're used to extreme weather. Look where they're living. Northern Scotland. It's the extreme weather capital of the UK. Mm -hmm. Of the, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And the lighthouse is 150 feet above sea level. Even if the weather is bad, they're not in any danger. What's their uh, their house made out of? It's stone. Okay. It's a big brick stone structure, and it's never been damaged by weather. Mm-hmm. So not made of straw. Not at all. Not like the three little pigs. Uh, and furthermore, William MacArthur, one of them, he was known on the mainland as a tough guy. He was a brawler. So why would MacArthur be crying over a storm? Right. Yeah, yeah. Something that he had seen a million times in his life. Hmm. Now, this gets better. There were were no storms reported in that area on the 12th, the 13th, or the 14th of December. What? Nobody in that area had seen any inclement weather whatsoever. In fact, it was calm. The seas were calm. Oh, weird. So how did they know the weather was good? Because people are, who could see that island could see the lighthouse. And there's a nearby yeah. island called Lewis Island. And the people on that island could see the lighthouse clearly across the ocean for the three days in question. Any bad weather would have, obscured, would have completely obscured their view of the lighthouse. Hmm. So what is up with that? Mm-hmm. In fact, there was no bad weather reported until December 17th. So that's a bit of a weird thing. The Mm -hmm. only um, rational explanation is that they had their dates screwed up. But how could that happen? Right. Especially guys that have to be very routine and I'm sure keep very, it's not like they would go days without putting things in the log, I'm sure even, right? Well, exactly. It makes no sense. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's funny because I thought maybe where this could have gone is okay so there's high winds and we've talked about this in a previous episode i believe the diet love episode where winds and sound can screw with your head yeah you know what i mean they can make you hallucinate and things like that but that doesn't seem to be the case no i don't think so and they could have shelter from the wind yeah this these structures are very very secure I mean, if you look at the lighthouse building, it's attached to the lighthouse itself. It's very secure. The lighthouse was like a fortress. It had Mm. to be, right? It had a spiral staircase up to the top. It was very, very secure. Mm -hmm. And these guys knew what they were doing. This wasn't like their, their first time. The final log entry of December the 15th of that year states the following. The storm has ended. The sea is calm. And God is over all. It's a very, very strange thing to write because what does God is over all mean? There's been lots of speculation about what that particular phrase means, but nobody has ever been able to come up with a reasonable theory. Hmm. So the big question in everybody's mind was why had all three members of the lighthouse staff left their posts at the same time 
and where were they? Like I mentioned before, an action of that kind was strictly forbidden by the regulations. They were seasoned. They would have known that that was something they shouldn't do. What happened? Because it looks like two people went out with the oil skins planned. They planned to go out. It looks like right where it looked like the third person because the oil skin was still there went out in a hurry. The people who the lighthouse board, Scottish lighthouse board are completely confounded. They don't know what could possibly have happened. Why, if they died, are there no bodies showing up? If three people died in the ocean, chances are a body would have washed up somewhere. Someone would have found someone. It's three people. One of them would have shown up. They just don't understand it. And and that's coming from them. They thought that they would know the currents and stuff too. Probably how yeah, they yeah yeah a body should have should have should have washed up. It shouldn't have happened this way. They're completely mystified. The families are horrified. Um, other sailors are coming out in their boats to try to help with the search, but the search. It's hard to search the waters and the surrounding islands in that area. The search doesn't last too, too long, and they find absolutely nothing. To this day, no remains or no evidence of what happened to these men has ever been identified. Interesting. Yeah. So this is a short one this week. I'm going to dive right now into the theories because that is all the evidence that I have for you. That's it. Mm-hmm. So popular theories, you'll like this one. I saved a good one um, for, for first, a sea monster or a spectral entity. Over the years, many of the keepers of the Eileen Moore lighthouse have heard very strange voices on the wind. And after the accident occurred, those voices, oh my God, can you hear that? Oh no, you can't. My dog is just going nuts. Oh no, I can. And I've already called the police. <laughs> So over the years, uh, many keepers of the Ivy and Moore Lighthouse heard strange voices, and after the accident, they could hear those voices reciting the names of the three dead men. Oh. To such an extent that there were several of them who wouldn't work on that particular lighthouse at that particular location ever again. Hmm. They said that the place was haunted, and it maintained the imprint of those people that had died there. Mm-hmm. Here's another theory. So... Before I move on from that with that theory, though, I should state that, like I said before, there's always been superstition surrounding that island. Right. Everybody who ever visited it said something is wrong at that location. We feel a sense of unease. Something isn't right at that location. And maybe you're going to get and 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 don't answer this if you're if you sort of it's part of your story. But is there been any historical things that have happened there or there? Were there? No. Okay. That we know of, I guess. That we know of. No, it's just too remote to do anything with. And with the creature thing, again, I'm a skeptic. Like, I am. But I find this stuff fascinating. Hence, I'm doing this podcast with you. I, like, I think of, like, could it be mer people? That's you know? come up. Yeah. Like, as part of the, the creatures and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if it could be the Kelpie. Yeah, but no, it wouldn't be the Kelpie. I just looked it up. It wouldn't be the Kelpie because the Kelpie was in locks and pools, and this is the sea. So I think this would be a different thing. It would probably be mermaids then. Yeah, or people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember, too, and I think that Scott, the Scots share this with the Irish folk, that um, Scots are extremely superstitious. Yeah. Extraordinarily yeah. so. They love their legends. Mm-hmm. So many claim that there's a race of tiny people that inhabit the island. And that is that 
that is the um, ancestral home of these tiny people. And they turned the three men into giant birds. Interesting. Because that's what they do. I think that's a, that's a, that goes back to like Celts, the ancient Celt beliefs and stuff like that. Like leprechauns come from that. Because there is a majority as well that assert that fairies abducted them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the land of fairy. Mm-hmm. And so that's right there. And again, I did a little research into this. I didn't realize how big the Scots are into the, into the legends of fairies. I always thought that was more of an Irish thing. And not fairies in these like Tinkerbell. Uh, no, no, they're malevolent, of, like of, Puck. Yeah. Like nasty fairies, like vindictive, mean jokesters. Fantastic book and, and great miniseries, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, deals with that very topic. Have you read or watched? Tried to watch it, couldn't get into it. I don't know why. Highly recommend the book. Deals with this exact exact subject matter. Very dark, very, very creepy. Partly because you can't really escape them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're vicious. Someone else who does a really good rendering of the world of fairies, Neil Gaiman, in the Sandman comics. Mm -hmm. He does fairy Mm -hmm. really, really well. Like I said before, many compared the tragedy to that of the Mary Celeste and believed that they could somehow be uh, the same entity or the same reason could be responsible. But that was a little far-fetched for me. Okay, another theory that has been th- uh, sort of thrown around, madness and murder. Yeah. A lot of people think that one of the three men simply snapped, killed his co-workers, and then killed himself. Again, though... Where the hell are the bodies? The only place he could dispose of a body would be by throwing it in the water. So he would have to have weighed it down. And if he killed himself, where is his body? Did they have a well? They had a cistern. Okay. Yes. So you can't hide it in the cistern without... No, it would it would bloat and the gases would come up and they'd eventually That's find right. it. And it would yeah. also taint yeah. the water. So right. um, that really doesn't hold a lot of water. There was another theory that they were kidnapped and executed by foreign nationals. Oh. So people from somewhere else or pirates even. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. But, but to but what then, end? And, yeah. Because it doesn't sound like anything. Well, what would you steal from a lighthouse? There was nothing first, stolen. First. That's right. Do you know what the most valuable thing on the light, at a lighthouse location is? The lens. The light? The yeah. The lens. That's... That glass lens. It's a optical perfection. Mm-hmm. So the other uh, third theory category is mishap. Um, A lot of people speculate maybe they were killed trying to assist a ship in distress. So maybe the light had gone out or maybe a ship didn't see it. Maybe they had washed up on the rocks and they rushed out to try to help that ship. But the ship, they couldn't and they died. But again, if a ship goes down, you're going to find stuff, especially in the 1900s. Life jackets are a thing. Lifeboats are a thing. They float there. Even if everyone died, the debris would have made its way to someplace. Oddly enough, I'd say that's the least likely of all the explanations because a there would have been note of a boat in distress. Note of a boat. Or a boat having note of a boat. I like note of a boat. I I've got a note of a boat. It's about a wooden thing. It sails in the sea and it goes ring ring. It's a ringing boat. Um, oh, do you know what that reminds me of? At the beginning of the podcast, I totally meant tonight, and I had it already, yes. and I forgot to go, 
Got a whale of a tale to tell you, Dan, a whale of a tale or two, about the flapping fish and the girls I loved on nights like this with the moon above. A whale of a tale and it's all true, I swear by my tattoo. Boop, boop. Do you know what that's from? No. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, the old Disney um, movie. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to get remember my ass sued into oblivion by them now. Oh, Disney is paying attention to us for sure, especially with talks of mermaids. And they own everything. But I did not mention Ariel or Little Mermaid. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, I know. But to go back to what I was saying, I don't think that that makes any sense on a, so many different levels. One, why would two guys grab the jackets, one guy doesn't? Why wouldn't they make a record of it in their book? Why wouldn't they be signaling to the shore? Why would all three go out and put themselves in harm's way? Uh, where is the shipwreck? Where's the record of a boat going missing or being in trouble? Yada, yada, yada. Exactly. So here is the most popular accepted Theory. And this one okay. is accepted by experts. Okay. When they did a search of the island over a Western landing platform, the Western platform where the ships dock, they found ropes that usually tethered a crate, which was on a supply crane 70 feet above the platform. Okay. So when instead of carrying that crate up, they would fill the crate with supplies and use the yeah. crane to raise it 70 feet and then bring the supplies to the lighthouse. Right. They believe that the men were attempting to secure the crate when a giant wave swept them away. Um, they believe the third man rushed out because he recognized that the weather had gotten bad and he wanted to go help his friends and that it just went really south really fast and they were all swept over by a big wave. Well, see that, yeah, that makes more sense. However, again, why hadn't of the bod any of the bodies washed ashore? Mm -hmm. And why would they have risked that if the weather had been that severe? They would have known to not mess with weather that bad, especially that close to the cliffs where the waves are pounding the rock incessantly. But again, all of the experts say that this is the most likely theory of what happened to the three guys. Why would they have been operating the crane, though, when there were no supplies to bring up? That would sound... They were worried that it was going to fall. Oh, so they just wanted to get it. Yeah, the crate, secured. the crate, the ropes had come loose and they wanted to secure it. So that makes more sense because you could have two guys wearing their jackets, doing that thing. One of them slips and falls or they both fall or the the third guy recognizes that a rogue wave perhaps has just hit the island. He's concerned. So he runs out. He somehow slips and still a lot of weird things have to happen. There's a in lot of succession. like bad luck in that formula to make that all work. But yeah. anyway, that's what I'm, that's the theory that most people ascribe to. Mm -hmm. So after the disappearance, I'll just give you a little bit of aftermath. The lighthouse was remanned. People came back to staff it and it remained staffed by human beings until 1971. When robots took over. It was, it was automated in 1971. It was Lomax 8 and his friend... Uh, T-Bot. And it still operates to this day. By those two robots? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, robots are eternal. I saw Wally. Yeah, yeah it's a beautiful story. Actually, Wally uh, really is. Do you know Wally actually? I, I don't laugh at me. Oh, we were at Disney again. I'm not laughing. I, I love like Wally. Wally. Like the way that human beings turn out, we're almost fucking there. Yeah. Big, fat, obese people who just sit and look at screens all day. Yeah. Seriously. 
Yep. Especially now with COVID-19. I mean, my God. So, um, Wally, you know. I have a question for you. Yeah. You mentioned Arctur. Yeah. What's that again? That was the uh, ship that went by at the beginning in uh, on December 15th. And it noticed that the um, the lighthouse wasn't lit and reported that the lighthouse wasn't lit. That leads me to my next question then, was that was the first point that they noticed that this lighthouse wasn't working anymore? Yes. Okay, okay, good. That's also strange. You know what this also reminds me of? Like big time to the point where I'm wondering now if this movie was inspired by this story. I can't wait to hear what you say. Well, the movie The Lighthouse. It was. I was going to mention that. Ah. Yes, it was. That's out. So I watched two movies this week in preparation for this podcast. One, which is a very direct interpretation of it, which is called The Vanishing with Gerard Butler. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if you put Gerard Butler in a movie, it will fail. Yeah. Like, well, seriously, that poor man. I remember. I remember. And, and folks, if you've got children with you, you might want to earmuff them right now. But I, do you remember a movie he made? I think it was in the 80s where his penis, he gets his penis to do like a circle. No. Like like, like, a, like the arm of a clock. No. Yeah. I don't remember what movie it was, but I, me- I remember seeing that. Um, probably in the nineties and it was weird. Yeah. He, I've never seen a movie I liked with him. The, well, I, I have, I loved, um, what was it? 300. Oh, I'm not, (laughs) I'm thinking of Gerard Depardieu. (laughs) That weird French guy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's who I'm thinking of. You met Gerard Butler. Oh yeah. 300 is awesome. Yeah. He's not, uh, he's not the greatest actor either though. Well, he has a funny reputation of being kind of the kiss of doom. The first time I ever saw him was in, um, the second Tomb Raider movie. I just, he would have been like a little boy in the eighties with the movie that I was referring. That was Gerard Depardieu of Cerno de Bergerac fame. Yes. And I think that's it for fame in, in North America. Anyway, um, it's Gerard Butler's in a movie called The Vanishing, and it is a direct um, interpretation of this story. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole thing about finding gold, and it's awful. It's a terrible movie. And the other one is The Lighthouse, which is one of the strangest movies in the world. Did you like it? Um, I did. I don't know if you know this or not. It's the same people who did The Witch, that movie with yeah. the goat with the eyes. Um, I found it a little pretentious. I have to be honest with you. It was a little artsy for me. It was a little, I think I would have liked it when I was 21 and smoked and thought I was the coolest person on earth. I found it, it was precious. I have to say though, if there's anyone in the world who's made the best decisions as an actor to sort of solidify his credibility after doing shitty movies is Robert Pattison. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. When I watched it, I was actually shocked that that was him. I had to go into IMDb. Water for elephants, like everything the guy has done. And I love that he's willing to take really minor roles just to have a good role to do. So I loved him. And of course, one of my favorite unsung heroes of American cinema is fucking Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Willem Dafoe is a goddamn powerhouse. Yes. I think the first time we all really were aware of him was Platoon, probably, right? Yeah, it would have been one of the early big films of his. Everything. uh, I've never seen him do a bad job. No. And he commits. I just recently saw uh, 
re-saw, like watched after maybe 20 years, born on the 4th of July. And I forgot that he was in that, which was what, 91, 90, somewhere around there, that movie came out. And um, he has a short role in that movie as another wheelchair-bound Vietnam vet. And he is, you can't take your eyes off of him. He's incredible. He's incredible. He is, inc- and his performance in the lighthouse. Oh my god! Oh, uh, I thought it was so cool. I thought it was, for me, I thought it was creepy. I loved how it was entwined with mythology. Yes, right. And the cinematography, my god, it was gorgeous. Because it kind of feels like it might have been sixteen mil black and white. It was grainy, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was extremely tactile. I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but. When I see a movie like that, it's almost like a flavor. It's almost that sensual. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I wish more filmmakers took chances like that. Oh, me too. Because we don't, we don't see a lot of that. I love a visual feast. I do. That's one of the reasons I will defend the recent Blade Runner movie. I loved it. I did too. I had no problem with that. Visual feast. That's mm-hmm. why I think you and I should go see Dune together when it comes out. I just bought the book. Oh, I've never read it. It's an interesting book. I, I'm i a big sci-fi nerd from back in the day. And there are two kinds of sci-fi nerds. And I'm the kind of sci-fi nerds that prefers more of an action-driven story. Dune is a very political story. It's yes. a political story. It's about the politics mm-hmm. of that um, universe. And so not mm-hmm. my thing really, but still a great story. I like the two sequels mm-hmm. much better than the first book. Oh, interesting. Okay. So anyway, yeah. The, so this was the the um, incident that inspired those two movies. So you are very correct, Dan. You advanced to the bonus round. Oh, good. You could win rice aroni. <gasps> the San Francisco treat. Amen. So I think that's it. That's all the story I have for you this week. This is a shorter episode for me. Well, by like, we, we've been hauling in like hour long episodes. So this is not that bad and we're not that far off. And I so. did a thorough research on it and that's all I found. Yeah, no. And that's okay, Riley. I mean, I'm in the same boat where, you know, some weeks we're going to have longer episodes. Last, uh, last week I thought we were going to have a short episode and then I went off on 5 billion tangents uh, talking Irish history. Do you know what though? I, when I was editing the episode, that's when I really listen. Like when you and I are inter- interacting here, I listen, but I'm listening in a different way. When I edit the episodes, I really listen because I'm trying to structure the narrative together and sort of make everything really work. And it's a really nice episode. Yeah. The Wicklow thanks. Jail, because you provided so much context. And like we said, sometimes context is everything, right? Um, I would like to close off if you don't have any more comments with something Mm -hmm. special tonight. Um, Again, though, I want to thank everybody who listens to The Weird. I want to thank our audience. They are amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love doing it. And I hope we can continue to do this for many years to come. And at this point, Dan and I both work, so we're not asking for money or anything. We're just asking for your time. That's right. It's our pleasure uh, telling these stories. And it's amazing that, you know, that people are listening. Because when you do something like this, you don't know that they will. And they are. And here are two, two guys in Ottawa who just wanted to do something for the love of it. And here we are. That's a big glass of wine. It's a, it's, yes. Good for you. It's a wine kind of night. It is a wine kind of night. So thanks for listening to The Weird. Um, I'm going to leave the listeners today. I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm going to leave the listeners this week with um, an excerpt from a poem. And the poem is entitled Flannan Isle. And it was written by a Scots poet named Wilfred Wilson Gibson. And it is about the very story I just told you. 
So, dear listener, well, look at you. I know, I'm getting all highbrow. So, here, dear listener, is an excerpt from Flannan Isle. Though three men dwell on Flannan Isle to keep the lamp alight, as we steered under the lee, we caught no glimmer through the night and looked up at the naked height and saw the lighthouse towering white with blinded lantern that all night had never shot a spark. Of comfort through the dark we hunted high, we hunted low, and soon ransacked the empty house and o'er the island to and fro. We ranged to listen and to look in every cranny, cleft or nook that might have hid a bird or mouse, but though we searched from shore to shore, we found no sign in any place, and soon again stood face to face before the gaping door. We seemed to stand for an endless while, though still no word was said. Three men alive on Flannan Isle, who thought of three men dead? 